Welcome to the Always On Podcast. I am your host, Duncan McPherson. And on this podcast, our objective is to enable our audience, which are high caliber working fee-for-service professionals, to always be working on their business and on themselves, personally and professionally. And to that end, on this podcast today, I had a great conversation with Jeff Ambrose, who is a very well-respected in the financial services space and in the last number of years evolved into becoming a highly respected coach. And we talked about what it looks like to become a coach or to add a coaching dynamic into your core competency as a value add that people will really find to be a value. If you like this podcast, please like and share and tell your colleagues. And if you have any ideas or topics that you'd like to hear on this podcast in the future, just let us know. Thanks for listening. Jeff Ambrose, you were in a former life, a very successful wholesaler on behalf of a well-respected asset management firm to some of the most productive financial advisors in the United States. And uh, while you had a great run, if I understand correctly, you always wanted to be a coach for a variety of reasons, including personal fulfillment. But then when you joined the Pareto Coaches Network, you realized that it wasn't just a passion. You realized that coaching, adding coaching to a professional repertoire would actually help somebody achieve professional contrast. Did I get that right? 100%. That's exactly it. Yeah. You know, it was, it, it was funny. If we kind of look at my, my career, it, it started out, I would tell you when I first started having to learn to be, bring more than just product was something I learned pretty quick. When I first started, I worked for a company that had a product that was just not competitive at the time. So I had to find other ways to develop relationships with advisors that went beyond your traditional commoditized product. And that's kind of where the genesis of it began. And that's how my career escalated to where it became now. So it's been kind of a 20-year run of, of honing that and bringing it to where it is. Okay, terrific. So the theme of this conversation is going to be, so you want to become a coach or you want to add a coaching dynamic to your day-to-day to differentiate yourself and attract long-term relationships. Now, one of the most profound and yet simple things you've said to me way back when is how essential it is to get out of the widget business. So what do you mean by that? There was a time where widgets were what the industry was. Go back to the 80s and the 90s, the mutual fund, the stocks. It was a transactional business. And there was a time when your product and or your research or your technology at your firm was actually a differentiator. You were able to bring things to the market and knowledge and expertise that other places necessarily didn't have. But because of the tech boom from the late 90s into the 2000s, the the playing field got completely even. Now, it doesn't matter where you are, what firm you work for. It doesn't matter what remote part of the world you live in. 
you can live anywhere, work for any firm, and you're going to have the same access to the same experts and the same technology as everybody else. So now the basis of what the industry had been formed on has been completely commoditized. It's now all, it became all about product. And at that stage, now you're on a level, level playing field and you have to find a way to differentiate yourself. And it has to come from something other than being essentially a vendor, having a, a series of products. I can get that anywhere in today's professional needs to learn how to develop a relationship to go beyond just an immediate product solution and look at the other areas of someone's life that really needs attention. Yeah, that's good. And commoditization is sweeping pretty much every sector, but uh, was it was it immediate? As you started coaching high caliber teams, did you realize the symmetry? Because wholesaling became commoditized. Retail B2C financial services became commoditized. So, so the, the move had to occur from a fixation on products, pricing, and performance, which is a short-term transaction, to more directional, st- strategic, collaborative relationships based on somebody buying into a relationship with the people the practice, and the process. You've seen how that becomes universal in virtually any sector? Oh, 100%. I, well, it depends. You know, I, Do I see the need for it? Oh, 100%. It's where the industry needs to be. The problem is, is there's a wave of professionals that are still stuck on the commoditized side of the equation. They're sitting there. And we're, when you talk about the timeframe of how we've seen this change, it's really been the past 15 years. It's really been since 08. It was still a a pretty much a transactional type of industry up through really 2005, six, seven, eight. And then we saw this dynamic start to change of starting to maybe outsource some of this stuff. So it wasn't even necessarily a change of, we need to go from being a vendor directly into relationship-based. It was this first transition from a product standpoint of getting out of the individual day-to-day stock and mutual fund trades into let's free up some of our time and and push this over to more of a a managed money type of approach to free up time for things. Now, what I've seen over the really the honestly, the past three years to four years Mm -hmm. is now this really big change of, okay, we've spent a decade of moving this money from just nuts and bolts of stocks and products, and we've moved it into something that is more fee-based. Now that we've done that, let's focus on the relationship and how now to take that further. So it's, I would say it's still in its infancy because the majority of advisors still sit on the left side of going, how do I make this jump now? Now that I've done the product move, how do I make the jump to this new way of developing relationships? Right. And I noticed pretty early on in the last couple of years, by virtue of demography as people are getting a little bit older, uh, the people that we interact with, but also the impact of a once in a lifetime force majeure that if I had a 60 minute consultation with a very high caliber professional, I'd say maybe 20% of the interaction was nuts and bolts best practices, quantitative results-driven 
activities. And the other 80% was how's life? What's important to you? Very qualitative. And, you know, advisors would also say to me that their role has expanded. You're right. I mean, they made the shift to advisory. That was great. Recurring revenue, higher enterprise value. They're not pumping up a leaky tire transacting. But then in the spirit of fee worthiness and throw in these external forces, people telling me that, you know, I've, I've become a psychologist, uh, a life count, uh, you know, a counselor, a therapist, a marriage consultant, uh, a family mediator, all these other things that they didn't, as, as one would say, I didn't sign up for this, but in fact, I've now made myself indispensable to the family because I am a sounding board on these qualitative aspects. You've seen that too, I assume? Oh, 100%. It's funny. One of my favorite questions to ask advisors that we bring on in Pareto is I'll ask them, I'll say, we'll talk about time allocation and kind of where they're spending their time, their resources. And, and I always ask them, I say, I want you to do me a favor. I want you to think about your entire year in a pie chart broken up by what you do in your tasks. And I've asked every advisor I have worked with, what percent of your time in a year is spent on actual picking of investments? The average range, and I'm talking for the biggest advisors that we, that we coach, one and a half, two billion dollar teams. The number, 5%. 5% is what they spend on picking individual investments. And from there, I said to him, I go, well, let me ask you a question. If I was with one of your clients walking down the street and you were coming the other way and you said, hi, and then we passed you and I looked at your client and said, ah, who's that? What do you think they would say? The number one answer I get is they'd probably say, that's my investment guy. And I said, how does that make you feel? I go, not too good. And I said, but let me go back to what I said in the beginning. I asked you what percent of your time is spent actually choosing individual investments. And you said 5%. It's a negligible number. 95% of your value, you aren't shining a light on. Your clients don't even know you do it. And that's where we need to see this transition. Clients are still viewing advisors through that same lens. So once advisors begin to realize, wow, my value doesn't, I'm not diminishing the importance of good sound investment choice. I understand that that is important but 95% of your job is spent doing things other for your clients than just investments. And if I can add one thing on, I would tell them, let's think about some of those things, right? Most clients come in saying, you know, thinking that investments is what their biggest issue is. But I'll ask advisors all the time, when was the last time a client came in, sat down, a prospect sat down, you went through all of their financial documents. And when you were done, you said, man, the biggest issue this person has is their large cap fund. And they start laughing and I go, let me, let me give you a different scenario. Has this ever happened? 65-year-old gentleman walks in, husband and wife walk in, have about $2 million first-generation wealth, and they don't have a will. It happens all the time. I go, so where's the true risk? Where's the risk? In a mutual fund or an ETF or some other fund that's a large cap space? Or if that guy walks out the door and something happens to him? Now, that's where the true issue lies. So my circle around on this is, where was your true value in that relationship? What did you do that was so beneficial to that person? It wasn't doing a reallocation of funds. 
It was going beyond what they expected and what your job title seems to say, which is investment advisor. You're not. They're more like a personal CFO. It's about taking into, a, into account all of a client's financial life because that's where the true risk actually lies. And that's why what we're doing is trying to get folks over to that other side. That's a great series of points there. And you reminded me of an interaction I had with a pretty substantial team who frankly was pushing back a little bit on me because I was saying, I I will never trivialize your technical ability, but you're not better than everybody else. You don't have scale. It's so commoditized. You should outsource what's commoditized and go deeper into what's proprietary business and the relationship. And I said, let me see your agenda that you use when you meet with a long-term client. Let me just see the agenda. And it was pretty generic, very technical. And I said to him, I said, is it possible that most of your clients hire you to make all of that go away? Some of you, some of them want to get into the weeds with you, but most don't want to hear all of this. And he got very, very defensive. And, but his team started chiming in, saying, yeah, this, this, this might be a path we should consider. Long story short, Jeff, the agenda changed. You know what the opening bullet was? How's life? <laughs> How's life? So, so the client would sit down, you know, has had interactions with the advisor over the course of the year, but hasn't met for a year. They might have had virtual interactions and on the phone and so on. They sit down, they see the agenda. Actually, they see the agenda because it was sent in advance. How's life? And I said to the advisor, I want you to reveal as quickly as possible some of the unspoken. I want them to feel safe that they can tell you about what's keeping them up at night, what's causing them stress and apprehension, what's unfulfilled, where are the unmet needs? I want that to come up incredibly fast, but I want them to reveal it to you. That little adjusted bullet was profound. And then the second bullet was your evolving form goals. Okay, so this was an advisor that was very needs-based, but I said, let's bookend the needs-based with the goals-based, but let's professionalize and standardize it with form and let's start to imprint a standardized approach to being goals-based using form. And let's, again, let the client reveal to you what matters to them and what they aspire to. And then the last bullet was, where do we go from here? Which was the focus on directional, like future pacing. Where's the relationship going? These little tweaks, and I'm oversimplifying it, but these little tweaks changed the body language and the energy of those interactions. And it had nothing to do with their technical ability. How many times have you seen somebody go from 500 to a billion in AUM and you've said to them, 
nowhere in your transition did you all of a sudden become a better financial advisor. <laughs> your bedside manner and your the yep. chemistry and your ability to manage a relationship and a client experience got better and look at the results. So long-winded, but you that lines up with you? Oh, 100%. It's funny. I, I love how you said about the agenda. I've always told advisors, agendas are the easiest thing that you can add to your practice to make such a motivational contrast, right? It's funny. And Duncan, you do this. You travel across the country, across North America, talking to advisors. And when we ask them what they do, they all kind of do the same things really well. And I tell advisors, you want to be different from everyone around you. It's not hard. It's not hard to be different. You just have to be slightly different. An agenda for me is, is, is so important in a relationship, especially one like this, because it's also a matter of respect. You're telling someone, listen, your time matters. You're coming in. The analogy I always use is a doctor's office. If anyone in your office says, hey, I got to go to the doctor, if you ask them, well, how long are you going to be? They're probably going to laugh. I don't know. I'll be back sometime between noon and next Tuesday. Like, we don't know how long it's going to be. And it's, it, to me, it's a matter of respect. I'm taking the time out to come see a professional. So when they send me an agenda going, hey, we appreciate your time. These are the items that we're going to talk about. It not only tells me that you respect me and my time, but it means that we're going to have a meaningful and impactful conversation. And I think too many times when we talk to advisors, it's always about, well, we have an annual meeting. And I'll say, well, what's the annual meeting about? And it's funny, if I, if I ever ask them what's the annual meeting about, it's always the same. They go, well, we talk about performance. And I said, so let me get this straight. On every annual meeting you have, you start with performance. Yes. I go, Hmm. But don't you tell the clients not to look at performance, not to focus on performance? And at mo that moment, it kind of clicks and they go, hmm, yeah, I guess. So what do I, they go, well, what would you recommend? And I said, well, it's really simple. Why don't you just start by what Duncan would tell you, which is be interested, be interested in them, take time to find what's going on in someone's life. And then to kind of bring this full circle, the, what I'll tell them is think about, think about a vacation, your favorite vacation, your favorite restaurant, your favorite go-to spot. Whenever you go to these things, the most memorable experiences that you have in life, whether it's on a vacation or a restaurant or a place you like to go, there are certain things that are expected, right? The weather's probably going to be nice, those things. But it's the little tiny interactions that happen. These little interactions that happen where someone does something that just goes above and beyond for you. Maybe when you check into the hotel, if you got young kids, they'll all of a sudden grab a, a stuffed animal or a cookie for the kids or something. Those little tiny interactions are the ones that you remember. The fact that you went to the Caribbean, it was 85 all week. We expected that. We knew that was going to happen. But when the person goes out of your way for you, that's memorable. That's something that carries forever. And that is how advisors can really begin to advance the ball. We know you're going to do the big things great. I tell advisors this. You tell them, I'm not worried about the big things. This isn't about big sweeping changes. This is about the 1% to 2% change that can take someone from being great to being amazing. That's how you do it. It's small little changes in a slight, tiny focus. Everyone else is focusing on performance. Focus on your client. Focus on your client and what matters to them the most. And that's where you're going to have the success. So I could not agree more. Well, therein lies the shift or the pivot and trajectory from being uh, somewhat indistinguishable because you're basically doing what's expected to becoming indispensable because you're exceeding expectations, but also taking the long view 
I mean, it's counterintuitive, but a financial professional's fee worthiness is less impacted by short-term performance than, than a lot of these people think. Like it's a lot about how do I feel about the path I'm on? You know, it's, I've said to my kids so many times, I mean, symbolically, there's a reason why the windshield is so much bigger than the rearview mirror because you want to invest the past into the future, but not get bogged down in the past. You want to make sure that you're on the right track, making the mid-course corrections, and you're harnessing some of the velocity and momentum. Now, here's the thing. Back to the agenda. It's a massive canary in the coal mine. When a client says to a financial professional, they say, hey, our upcoming review meeting, it's all good. I'm swamped right now. I trust you, whatever you think. And the professional says to themselves, oh, that's cool. They trust me. That's nice. It's not cool. Because basically what they're saying is, yes, I trust you, but I just don't see the merit in getting together to rehash something that's already happened. And plus, I, I pay you to deal with this. So it, it's, it's profound when the strategy and tactical meeting is positioned as the keystone of the process. And we're focusing on unmet needs, evolving goals, and future pacing where this relationship's going so we can get out in front of critical life events, achievements, milestones, et cetera. But again, the client has to buy into that. And, and there's such a distinction between buying a product buying a portfolio, a solution versus buying into a panoramic process. It, it, it engages, the, engages the client differently. But again, we come back full circle to this mindset that you know, you, you, you've got to ask yourself, how can I make myself indispensable? What is the X factor to that? And a lot of it is just adopting this philosophy and this refined approach to being a coach. 100%. And if I can add on to that, I think what the difference is, is it's really the difference between real life and fake life. And to me, the investment world is kind of fake life. It doesn't, it's, it's not tangible. My money's in the market and, and, and advisors will talk about, well, capital gains or you know unrealized loss or an unrealized gain the market's up and down and, and we focus so much on the on these numbers that are going up and down and it takes a minute for someone to step back and go well what's the money for mm-hmm. because at the end of the day that's what it's really about and if advisors start focusing on that that don't focus on the money focus on what it's earmarked for because I'm going to tell you I'm a retail client I've been in the industry I don't manage my own money because it's too emotional. I have someone else do it. But here's the reality of it. When the market goes down, I'll tell an advisor, if, if a client has a million dollars with you and the market goes down 20%, they're aware. They know. All right. And when they call you up, let me ask you, what do you normally do? And the answer I almost always get is, well, we kind of defend the position. We talk about why the market's down and what we're going to do. And I said, 
let me, let me, let me put it to you a different way. In my mind as a retail client, I came in and I sat down with you four years ago and we put together a plan. And if we did things right, you said, Jeff, here's the five things that you want to accomplish through your retirement. Here's the things we're looking to do. Great. Well, here's real simple. Here we are four years later, I'm down 20%. In my mind, I'm not looking for some sort of defense on why the position's down. I don't need you to defend what you did. In my mind, I'm translating, that's not a 20% loss or unrealized loss. To me, that means one of the five things we said I was going to do is off the table. That's what that means. It's pure math. If I'm down 20%, my income has to go down. One of my bucket list items has to be off the table. So when you talk to a client and say, hey, listen, before we talk to you about building the watch, let me ask you a question, Jeff. Do you need more income or less income? No. Did any of those bucket list items change? No. Well, they didn't change on our end either. What do you mean? You're still fine. Yes, the market's down 20%. Unfortunate? Yes. Is it unexpected? No. This is part of the normal cycle. This is what we prepare for. Don't focus on the down 20%. Focus on what that's all earmarked for. And when advisors start to change that, all of a sudden the client view changes. Because if my advisor isn't focusing on my individual performance and he's getting me to focus on what it's earmarked for, it changes the whole dynamic. And that goes right to what you said of taking that relationship from this pure numbers-based, widget-based vendor to let's talk about the entirety of your, your life. What is it earmarked for? Which is form, family, occupation, recreation. That's your why. Focus on that. The money is just a vehicle. That's all it is. To position yourself as a subject matter expert while efficiently creating professional contrast in the eyes of your prospective clients, strategic partners, and ideal clients, deploy a podcasting initiative using the turnkey process developed by Proudmouth. Learn more at Proudmouth.com. The best place to strengthen a client relationship is in the very place where you manage that relationship. BlueSquareToolkit.com has harnessed the best practices of Pareto systems and brought them to life in our easy to use system that is accessible on both your phone and your desktop. Simple technology to uncomplicate your life by creating clarity, accountability, and consistency for your entire team. Build stronger client relationships by tracking and archiving essential information on what matters in your client's life and make yourself indispensable and more referable in the process. Create a more consistent client experience and grow your business with the Blue Square Toolkit. Visit bluesquaretoolkit.com to get your 14-day free trial today. Yeah, well said. Great points. And yeah, again, I, I'm like a broken record on professionalizing and standardizing the goals-based planning approach with form, because when you imprint that with a client, they start to internalize it and they can socialize it. Now, I want to throw a twist at you because I had a conversation uh, recently with Chris Jepson. We were talking about this scenario 
and I might not get the numbers right, but he was saying something along the lines of financial professional had a very substantial long-term client, about $20 million empowered to the advisor. And then that client referred his sister to the advisor and uh, she had about 2 million. The fees were the same. The portfolios were pretty much the same. And then the, the, the lead client said, hey, I'm just curious, respectfully, what is it that I get that she doesn't get based on the disparity of how much I pay you versus how much she pays you? And he was being very sincere, very authentic. He wasn't uh, chirping. It was just a serious question. And you talk about defending the position. And that that's another canary in the coal mine where now the, the, the professional has to really scramble a little bit. Uh, I guess where I'm going with this, Jeff, is, does, is this where the importance of having a gold desk, having an elevated client experience for the 20% of the clients who generate 80% of the business to amplify that fee worthiness? So we're not defending. Uh, do you see the merit in that? Oh, I mean, that's that's where the industry is going. This, whoever wants to come out of this market and really see their business take off, the advisor of the future, that's what they do. That's where their focus is. The, the strongest advisors are the ones that have, I, I would have to say, they're okay swallowing their pride. They're okay swallowing their pride and not standing there saying, I'm a money manager. They've given that up. They've realized that it's not about that. They're not a money manager. They are more of a CFO for a client. They are the, 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 the essential center of that client's financial life because your financial life is so much bigger than your brokerage statement. Again, it's, it, it, that's not a story. I tell advisors, when you look at our, our seven pillars, for instance, our seven pillars approach that we talk to advisors about that really shows, shows advisors, listen, your value lies in so much more than just the investments. That's when you begin to realize the real life issues for clients. Again, think about the real life issue. Like I mentioned, that gentleman that came in without a will, that guy, if, if something happened to him, he's $2 million, he's probably only going to pass on a million five, million two. It's all those other things where you're starting to get into the real life situations of, look, you've worked hard for this. We want you to look forward to a great retirement, but we've got to make sure that everything that, it, that, it, that comes your way is going to be settled. And for someone with $6 million, guess what? There's a lot more that you have to do for that person than you do with someone that has a million. There's a lot more issues. There's going to be more tax consequences, be all these other things that you have to do. And you probably do them as an advisor. But what you're missing is you're not telling your clients. You might as well be a secret agent because you do all this work. It's just kind of part of what you do, but you place no value on it. And if you as the advisor aren't taking the time to place value on the work that you're doing and to show your clients, hey, let me show you the totality of what we do for you. Again, why do you think your clients ever will? And the last thing you want is a $6 million client going, out of curiosity, why am I paying the same as everybody else? That is something that needs to be addressed in the beginning. I would say the airlines, more than any industry, does the best job of laying out the service matrix. They make it very, very clear before you get on that plane. 
where you are, the services you're going to get based off what you spend. And if you take that approach towards the brokerage business, towards being a wealth manager, to being a life coach, which is what you need to be, that's how you prove your extra value. But you have to show them. You can't leave it up to clients to figure it out on their own. <laughs> well, the irony with the airline business, and you know, I don't mean to uh, poke negatively, but that bar has gotten so low, even at the highest <laughs> level. And so, so the client experience has plummeted, fees have gone through the roof. And you're right, people still say, I don't want to backslide into a lower tier. I'll still keep being loyal to this underwhelming experience because uh, you know, I, I want whatever the best is that's available and I want my points, right? So it's just interesting the rules of engagement, but something that's interesting about coaching is you get to hear yourself. If you have 10 engagements in a week, that old saying, right? Change your audience, not your message. You've got a core message. It's new to them individually. But when you go beyond your technical ability and throw in elements around this X factor, you get to hear it. And it, it, there's, no, there's a self-motivation and accountability that brings something out in you. And I'm saying this because the qualitative value you bring to a client does not run cover for deficiencies in the quantitative. Like you, it's, it's a given that you're good technically. It's just not enough anymore. It, and, and what's separating the best from the rest is they don't rest on the quantitative they build on it with the qualitative and that's that's what raises the bar to a level where the client's like this is there's it, this is unrivaled it, it, that's exactly it you know it's funny i told partners i go it, the, the fact that you are licensed the fact that you went to school for this the fact that you have experience the fact that you have a good core competency when it comes to investment management that isn't what sets you apart. That's literally a qualification for the job. The, 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 the subtraction of any one of those items would disqualify you from even being there. As a retail client, when I show up, I'm not impressed with that. I just kind of assumed that's how it was. It's the stuff above and beyond that. It's the stuff that I'm not expecting that sets me apart. So when I go in with that advisor and they sit down and say, hey, listen, we're here to talk about what really matters to you. Let's talk about your family. Talk, but let's talk about that that big brokerage account that you have. What it's earmarked for. Let's talk about why you did it. Why did you save all that? What did you picture the future was going to be to look like? And when you can get a client to do that, when they can look beyond what they came in there thinking it was going to be, it's totally different. I have a really good friend of mine who runs a great practice, and one of my favorite things is he. They only have. Uh, high net worth clients, their average client is about 15 million. So that's their average client. And I've asked him, I said, so out of curiosity, like when you're having conversations, give, give me something that you, that you like to use that really kind of sets you apart. And he said to me, he goes, I got one for you. He said, when I talk to, I'll be out and wherever talking to somebody and it comes up and they'll, they'll ask me, oh, so you do investments, you, you, you do people's investments. And he goes, this is my response. He goes, oh, no, look, do we do investments? It's part of what we do. But to be honest with you, if you're looking for someone just to manage your investments, we're certainly not the team for you. 
You see, what we do is we work with people whose financial lives are they need a lot more than just investments. They've reached a level where they realize that their life is more complicated than their brokerage statement and they need help in the totality of it. And I told them I was stealing it and I, and I loved it. And it is such a great way to think about it because it is your financial life is so much bigger than that. And you have to get clients to think outside of that because they're not good at it. Mm-hmm. And I think where it lies from is look at today's advisor. Who's their client? Their average client 65 years old. 65 years old is your average client, right? Who were their parents? They were depression era kids. So when your 65 year old client comes in and they have a million or $2 million and they don't have a will, they don't have, they don't have any of this. Why? Is it because they're not smart? No, it's because they don't have any experience with that. They didn't know that that was supposed to happen. And then take it one step further. When you're in that meeting and you realize they don't have anything and you ask them the question, Hey, so what does this look like for you? What is the other side of 65 look like? What do the next five years of retirement look like? Duncan, you ask this question all the time too. I get the same answer every time. When I ask prospects or clients, so what's the end game look like? It usually sounds like this. I don't know. We're pretty comfortable. If we can just kind of keep living the way that we are, that'd be okay. Maybe see the kids a little bit. And I asked the advisor, I go, so do you push back? They go, no. And I said, there's a line that Duncan used, and Duncan used this all the time. It's, my, it's one of my favorite lines. And you go, we want clients to look to the future with anticipation, not apprehension. And I'll say that. I go, what, what about kind of just living the same life I'm doing gets me really razzed up? Like, what is that? Like, how does that get a client to really look forward to the first 15 years of retirement? The reason why your clients don't have a good answer to that, to that is because you need to take more of a coaching approach. It's Mm -hmm. your job as their financial coach to help paint that picture. Think of it like going into a restaurant. If you're not given the menu, how do you know what to order? Yes, I have a million and a half, but don't assume that means I know what I can do. As far as I know, I'm going to run out of money in 10 years. So when the advisor takes the time to go from vendor to more life coach, financial coach, and says, well, let's take a minute then. Let's talk about what that could look like. Let me give you some ideas of people that I know that are around your age that have about that, some of the things they've been able to do. Well, if I can get a client to leave that office going, I walked in there thinking if I could just keep living my life, I'd be happy. But he just laid out for me. She just laid out for me. I can take my kids and grandkids on a vacation every year. Well, now I got something to look forward to. Oh, they want to maximize my lifestyle, not minimize it. I get to this is great. Now I have things to look forward to. And that's really the vein that we're tapping into here, which is get beyond it. Get beyond it. I can get your widget anywhere. I can go to any brokerage firm on the business and replicate what you're going to build for me. Does not discount the importance of it. But what really attracts clients, what clients desperately want more than anything is they want help on the other 95% of the stuff that you do. And that's by taking an interest and highlighting it. Get them excited about things. You've got to paint that picture. I can feel your uh, enthusiasm and energy as you say that. And you covered a lot of ground. The words matter. Back to your friend about how he finds that sweet spot between professional contrast and professional scarcity. What's really important is to always think in terms of intellectual property. How do we decommoditize and demystify? All roads lead to the things you can only get from us that's proprietary to us. So as a supplement to what you were saying about your friend, I know another team 
when they get the sort of throw in sort of question, like, oh, you're, you're a financial advisor, you manage money. What they say is, well, yeah, sort of, but honestly, asset management, that's a very small part of our process. It's important, but our clients' needs are very complex. They're evolving rapidly based on client uh, family investment legacy and issues regarding liquidity events. And so, so, you know, we've got a process that's panoramic and all encompassing, but it does include asset management. Now they say it way better than I just did, but the, the premise that they're imprinting is we've got this thing uh, as opposed to others who are just sort of cobbling it together. The other thing I wanted to comment on what you were saying there, the, the coaching dynamic adds to the sifting uh, around identifying clients you're ideally suited for, because I've had many advisors say to me that that's evolved. You know, they used to have clients where the fixation was on a number. Okay. So the, the advisor would say, okay, what's Nirvana for you? What are you trying to accomplish? And they'd go to a number, 5 million or whatever their number was. Where in fact, their favorite clients, when they talk about their version of Nirvana, they related to money being a means to that end, where they would talk in terms of things like self-actualization, the best version of myself, plateau avoidance in life, you know, no anticlimax. I, you know, in the last couple of years with all this nonsense in the world, you know how many really successful people I know who have said their own personal version of this? Is this it? Like, is this all life has to offer? Mm-hmm. Like, uh, if, if that's it, that's, you know, I, I want, I want more. And it's money, money. You don't need to have a lot of money, but it does open up some doors towards personal fulfillment. So, so what I want to say, and I said this yesterday to a client when we were talking about the X factor and, and not winging it, not having a back of the napkin approach to it. It's standardized. It's part of your process. It's framed. It's optimized. But I said to him, I quoted uh, Nikola Tesla. Because he said, uh, Tesla said, education without imagination is indoctrination. And indoctrination is just basically the minimum requirement. It's swimming in a pool of sameness. There's no points of difference. The imagination, when you combine the imagination of these qualitative deliverables with the education of your core competency, you put them together, there's a force multiplier that will attract very attractive clients because of that energy and that dynamic. And it's also worth 100%. It's words they haven't heard. I mean, I can imagine that team gets the same reaction that my friend does when all of a sudden, when someone says, so you do investments and your first response is, no, kind of. I tell them, do you know who that resonates with the most? The affluent. 
Mm-hmm. Because the affluent have been around, the high net worth clients have been around, they've had multiple advisors or have multiple advisors. And it's pretty much a cookie cutter standard. Duncan, you've done this a long time. It's the same thing. I come in for my first meeting, I'm going to get fact sheets, I'm going to get a PowerPoint on, on markets and this and that. So they're used to a certain thing. They've never been told their life's a little bit more complicated than their investments. So when they hear that, that makes them go, wait a minute, what am I missing? Because if I just tell them I'm an investment guy, well, guess what? I've got one of those. I've already got one of those. I don't need you. I already know what you do. But when you said to me, no, my clients were coming, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. I've got five, $6 million. I'm a $10 million client. Who are you dealing with? Well, our clients have five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten million dollars. Well, that's me. But let me tell you, they have much bigger issues than just their, their performance. For them, it's about making sure their entire financial life is fully integrated and working together. My guy just kind of does my investments. Maybe we should have a conversation. And that's how that really leads because it's, I haven't heard that. Well, and, and I'm not suggesting this is a universal, absolute airtight science, but I will say this, and I've noticed this over the last couple of years as well. Those with the highest level of ability in any field of endeavor almost always have the highest level of humility, which means they like top athletes crave coaching and direction. The coaches that they hire could never outperform the protege on the field. And yet that, that athlete respects that direction. It's, it's the same in business and somebody, and, and we see this all the time, if you're living and dying by the technical performance sword, your client's going to outgrow you because what's going to happen is you've got a $7 million client. The problem is that $7 million represents 15% of their net worth. As events start occurring in their life, other external service providers start coming into the mix to move things around and put pieces together. They start chirping at that client and saying, hey, you know, you you probably need to step up to the next level. When there's an indispensability, it doesn't matter how big the number gets because the, the degree of trust is not solely focused on rates of return and technical precision. You're indispensable Mm -hmm. because I trust you. You bring value to my life that I value. And many smart people have said, you know, you've got something where if you were to take it away, that client would miss it. That qualitative, it's hard to put your finger on. It's hard to describe it, but uh, people can't imagine not having it. When, when you really get it right, when it is standardized, when it is proprietary and professionalized. So what I'm hoping what we're getting across is just to help people reimagine a day in the life, what it means to be your client and how you can find that next gear of indispensability. And in the, in the pursuit of that, add immense personal fulfillment where it's, it's, it's not a job, it's a calling the sense of purpose is massive and uh, you're building a legacy in real time. So Jeff, I'll let you have the, the last word, but uh, this is a great start. We're going to have to do this again for sure. I, I can't thank you enough for having me on. And, and I, I would just tell you this, I, 
22 years being in the business and you've been doing this a long time and we've watched this transition. And the one thing I try to tell advisors is this isn't marketing. This is actual real things that advisors are doing. And when you take that step, if you ask any advisor, who's your favorite relationships, you know who it ends up being? It's their friends. They start as friends, but they're friends. It's the people they call up. And when they ask them, what do you remember about our relationship? They're like, you know what I remember? I remember that when my dad passed away, you were there. You took care of everything. It wasn't about, oh, in 2015, you got me a 10% return. It's those little things. And you know what the difference is? You took the time. You stopped worrying about the performance and you were, and you took the time to take interest in that person and their life and every aspect of it. And not only is that something as a retail client myself, that would mean the world to me for my advisor to treat me like family, but you've seen this when advisors make that change, when they change from being a financial advisor to being a part of essentially someone's family, to being a a steward for them and an advocate for them in their financial life, that becomes their favorite relationship. Because like you said, there's a word that you can tie to that and it becomes fulfillment. Helping others is something that genuinely gives people pride in fulfillment. And when advisors start doing that and they start becoming coaches, that's when their business really begins to skyrocket and the loyalty factor explodes. Uh, okay. So you're, you're, I, I've got to comment on that because I had a conversation a couple of days ago with the team on this very subject. They were so proud of some of the digital aspects of their client experience. And I said, okay, I, it's awesome. I love it. You're painting yourself into a corner, though, if you think that this is what's going to differentiate you in the eyes of the clients. When things become more commoditized and more digitized, you, you are actually creating a scenario where you're, you're taking some of the soul out of the client experience. You have to find the sweet spot with high tech and high touch. The high touch will never go out of style when, especially like you said, with those very, very successful demanding clients. So Jeff, excellent. Uh, How can people find you? I know you're on LinkedIn. I'm on LinkedIn. You can go to uh, the Pareto website as well and, and see our bios is there, but they can find me in either of those places at any time. And, and We've done some work together, not just on the B2C side, but the B2B side, where where people who work with, whether it's a wholesaler or a BDO, who their clients are fee-for-service professionals, you've also seen how adding a coaching dynamic to their repertoire can add to the impact of the relationship, correct? 100%. We built out a program for that as well, too, because that is a huge need. I mean, especially in the wholesaler world or in the different firms out there where they have business development officers, um, they have learning coaches out there. The, the transition we're seeing between the relationship between advisor and client is the exact same thing that we're seeing happen in the B to essentially B business, in the wholesaler to advisor, from the BDO to, to advisor. That same dynamic, it's no longer about the product you're carrying in your bag. It's about how you can be an accretive part of an advisor's practice, how you can be a true strategic partner. No one's waking up on a, at 3 a.m. on a Wednesday saying they need more product. They're waking up at 3 a.m. on a Wednesday going, I need more capacity. I need more help. I need more organization. I need deeper relationships with my clients. And if you're the expert, if you're the person that can go in there and deliver on one of those, they will find a way to get your product in. 
Start by being a coach. Start by doing the things that matter to them. Don't worry about yourself. Focus on your client and what matters to them and the rewards will come your way. Well, and that brings up a very good point too, because in many ways, the coaching sector is being commoditized and the elite coaches realize it's not about the pep talks and the fireside chats and the lectures. It's about being, as you said, accretive, diagnostic, and collaborative, asking great questions, helping people come to their own conclusions. The best coaches never think of themselves as being the smartest guy in the room. They want to help people come to their own conclusions and lead them to the breakthrough. And that is where collaboration is born. So great point. Okay. Agreed. Well, I know you're a busy guy. I appreciate your time. Let's do this again and let's go deeper into this and let's bring some case studies to the next conversation where we can highlight the before and after how the minor adjustment of adding this qualitative coaching dynamic Uh, into the mix has led to a deeper, higher producing results. Thank you for listening to Always On with Duncan McPherson, where our objective is to enable professionals to always be working on their business and on themselves. Want to learn more about Duncan and his team? Visit ParetoSystems.com. Don't forget to click the follow button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the hosts and or guests and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Pareto Systems. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. This podcast is powered by Proudmouth, the influence accelerators. If you're like me and want to spend more time educating people and less time selling, Proudmouth helps turn Main Street experts like you into trusted mainstream authorities. They will help amplify your influence over a growing audience of magnetically attracted fans. Visit Proudmouth.com to learn more.